Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Ribbon. This podcast is brought to you by Pete's Car Smart Kia. These guys are not here just to sell you a car, but they believe in building relationships with their customers and the community. Visit their website at petescarsmartkia.com and be sure to follow them on their social media platforms as well. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Beyond the Ribbon. My name is Ryan Parnell and as always, I'm joined by my co-host and oncology nurse, Pam McMillan. Hey Ryan, how are you today? You know, Pam, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. Hey, have you ever um, heard that commercial, you gotta go, gotta go right now? Yeah, you know, um, and it's really kind of psychological, right? Sometimes you see that and you go, man, I, I do need to go. <laughs> you do need to go, that's right. <laughs> and you know, in a previous life of mine, I actually sold medicine uh, for overactive bladder, so it, I know a lot about going. Going. Well, today I hope we our listeners can learn a little bit about um, going um, and more about the pelvic floor and maybe what's out there to help them with some of their problems. I'm really excited to have our guest, Alita uh, Petrie, here. Hi, Alita. How are you? Hello. Thank you, Pam. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. <laughs> it is my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Alita, tell us a little bit about yourself and where you work and what you do. Well, I am a physical therapist. Um, I graduated from Texas Tech University in 2003. And even before graduation, I developed a strong interest in pelvic floor rehab. And specializing in that um, is a long process, a lot of coursework. It's a postgraduate specialty, but I've been fortunate to take that route, um, develop an established pelvic floor rehab here in the Texas Panhandle, and ultimately started my own clinic about a decade ago, mm -hmm. along with my husband, and we treat both um, pelvic floor rehab as well as general orthopedics. Oh, wow. Wow. You know, um, it's interesting, uh, and some of our listeners are probably going, pelvic floor, uh, I, don't, I don't, I mean, I have, pelvis, talking right? I have a pelvis, I have a pelvis. Where is that again? What do we, we, so let's, let's, for our listeners and for me, let's uh, explain to us what exactly the pelvic floor is. So the pelvic floor and particularly the pelvic floor muscles are the group of muscles that sit at the bottom of the pelvis. So even right now, as we're here chatting together, we're all sitting directly on those muscles. And it's a group of about 20 individual muscles that all have to work together throughout the day every day, which is part of what spells trouble sometimes, oh, yeah. because they've got to be able to contract to maintain continence. So keep us from wetting or soiling ourselves outside of the restroom. And then of course, they've got to be able to rest and relax to allow us to void both for urination and for bowel movements but they've also got to be able to contract and relax properly for intimate relations so for arousal orgasm things like that and most people will think about those functions if they think about the pelvic floor but what they don't often think about is the all-day everyday role so I'm very animated as I'm sitting here talking <laughs> yeah. my hands are moving and every time my hands move my pelvic floor responds it contracts to help keep me balanced and upright so even as as you nod your head um, your pelvic floor is activating repetitively to keep you balanced. So that being said, um, it's with every movement you make, it's activating. And yeah. again, that spells trouble. So yes, it helps to promote continence and proper uh, healthy sexual function, but it also supports the spine and trunk with every move we make and every daily activity. So it's kind of like, you know, everybody's talking about your base, you know, the, the strong right. base. There's so many pieces and parts. Right. That are so much important to that. 
you know, Pam, when we talked about, when we started our, this podcast, I, I think in episode one, um, we shared with our listeners that we want to bring to them, we want them to know and learn from our local experts and even about topics that maybe might be a little hard to talk about or maybe might be hard to, especially in the office with their physician. And I'm thinking we're in that one of those episodes right here. Oh, I definitely think so. You know, um, talking about urinating or fecal problems, it's hard. It's hard for our um, uh, survivors to um, express that because they feel like, hey, this doctor saved my life. Well, I, sh- I should just live with this. Um, so I'm glad that we have her here Absolutely. to um, learn all about it. So, <laughs> Alita, what does um, treatment, um, those that have gone through treatment, what does it do to the pelvic floor? Um, does it damage it? Does it, how does it work? And it depends on, of course, the type of cancer and the treatment involved. Studies have shown that um, various chemotherapies do impact um, our muscle fibers, essentially. So chemo can have a direct effect on our muscle cell development, uh, recruitment of muscle fibers, muscle activation, which that can lead to weakness and variety of changes. And sometimes that's the start of a domino effect. If a muscle becomes weaker, it's not activating the way we should, it causes other muscles to compensate. And then we just see you know continued domino effect from there so chemo can directly affect the muscles but on top of that most people are fatigued no matter what treatment they go go through whether it's chemo or radiation and studies have also shown a rapid rate of weakness with every few days of either reduced activity or inactivity Hmm. so just any treatment sets the stage for muscular changes because of that reduced activity level you know, which goes, which goes hand in hand, if I can interrupt oh, for a second, absolutely. why we preach all the time about our survivors being active right. at whatever level they can do while they're going through treatment. And I know many of our listeners that have been following us along are probably going to go, oh, here they go again. But really <laughs> and truly, here it is again. It comes up as a reason to be active, even if it's just walking down the street. Something's um, better than nothing. Yes. Absolutely. If it's just walking across the living room and staying as active as you mm-hmm. can. Here, absolutely. we're talking about the domino effect that because of inactivity leads to pelvic floor damage or pelvic right. floor muscle weakness. Exactly. And especially in a muscle group like that, that's that tends to be the group that we all take for granted. It's been there. It's supported us. You know, maybe every everything's been fine prior to treatment or had you know, minor hiccups from other things in life. And so we just don't even think about those muscles, but we are going to think more about whether or not my legs can move me across the room or my hand and arm can move this glass of water towards my lips, you know, a little bit more so than we think about the pelvic floor muscles. So I think that that tends to create a bit of a delay in recovery sometimes for the pelvic floor muscles specifically. And then also, you know, after men in particular have prostate cancer, oftentimes whatever route is chosen, if they have the prostate removed, that can, of course, lead to urinary incontinence and erectile dysfunction, especially those conditions can persist beyond um, certain expected lengths of time because of a change in the pelvic floor muscles. And even in the past when they've done um, more often those inserted those radioactive beads into the prostate, sometimes I've seen more pelvic pain as a result mm. from mm-hmm. that. And a lot of times that pelvic pain is a result of some trauma that the muscles experience with that. So Alita, what kind of symptoms um, do patients have if they're having damage or weakness? What are some of the common symptoms? 
So it there's a large umbrella of symptoms, mm-hmm. kind of runs the gamut. Most often what I see is, um, of course, urinary incontinence, especially after the prostate is removed. Mm-hmm. Um, for a lot of other people with any sort of pelvic cancer, whether it's bladder cancer, um, colon cancer, uterine cancer, sometimes we see a mix of urinary retention, so not being able to void or empty the bladder appropriately or completely. Sometimes Mm -hmm. that's mixed with urinary incontinence. A lot of times I do see, particularly for women, um, pain with intimacy, so Mm -hmm. pain with penetration. And honestly, that term, the medical term associated with that encompasses pain with medical exams Mm because pap smears, things like that, shouldn't suddenly be painful just because there's a history of cancer. Um, so it can be, you know, if they're still menstruating pain with tampon insertion Mm -hmm. and we see the same thing with, uh, the bowel system or with fecal changes, sometimes fecal urgency, um, constipation, and then on the flip side, fecal incontinence as well. And then oftentimes what I've seen after breast cancer is, um, some sort of hip pain, low back pain, and also the pain with penetration. So those tend to be the most common things that I, I see clinically. All right. You know, let, let's go back for a second um, when, when you talked about with prostates. Yes. So um, I'm going to speak to all the guys listening out there or the ladies who have a husband who has had prostate cancer. Um, you know, I know here we do a lot of robotic mm-hmm. uh, prostatectomies. Um, has that helped reduce the amount of incontinence or uh, the, the pelvic floor damage or pelvic, excuse me, pelvic floor problems being able to do it robotically or does that not really matter much? That definitely helps. Um, actually, significantly, we do see kind of the reduced longevity of incontinence. So pretty much every every man who has his prostate out is going to experience urinary incontinence. But for some, within two to three months, that is cleared up, that's gone. Uh-huh. And so there's a period of time where it's almost a guarantee, but we expect it to go away. And when it doesn't, that's when the urologist, sometimes even the oncologist will send, send the guys my way to see if there's an underlying muscle issue. Now, thankfully, with the robotic surgeries, there's such less damage to all the surrounding organs and tissues and a lot of nerve sparing. And that's Mm -hmm. a big thing, because if our nerves are intact, we can feel the urge to urinate, the nerves send the signal to the muscles telling them to contract or to rest. So when we don't have damage to the other tissues, then we can get that return of function that we're needing. And so the robotics have definitely been a game changer for that. So let's just be real honest here, Alita. Sure. I'm a guy. Right. I'm tough. I I <laughs> deal with it. Right. That's right. what that's what guys out here listening are saying. Oh, right. I don't tough. have time for that. I'm tough. <laughs> I, can, I mean, it's just I'm I'm okay. It's not that big a deal. Right. Can we put them at ease? I mean, this is not a long term for the most part, as Correct. you said, not right. a long term problem, and there are fixes for this. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Now, granted, physical therapy takes some work and diligence sure. and it's not an overwhelming amount it's not of a pill. work. It's not <laughs> a pill. And I don't put my patients out on treadmills and have them run because that does not fix the pelvic floor muscles. So, um, but I, you know, we want to restore muscle function. So if the pelvic floor muscles stopped functioning properly and that takes continued awareness and control throughout the day. And then of course the proper exercises. So some guys come to me and say, 
you know, yes, I use eight depends a day and I fill them up and sometimes one of them will overflow. So I don't go golfing with my buddies or I, you know, mm. I don't go hunting anymore. All these things that they've liked to do, they've just accepted. Well, fine. They don't like it, but fine. I can't do this anymore. But, um, and I, when I've done all the kegels that I was instructed to do, so why should I even come? What else am I going to do? You know, there Mm -hmm. is a lot of that. I'll just tough it out sometimes. And then sometimes there's a point of, oh, I'm going through eight depends a day. This is miserable. I want to be able to play golf. And I, um, a gentleman I've worked with recently who is in a local band and his thing was, I want to be able to perform without people seeing evidence that I've had some water to drink. (laughs) So, you know, being able to restore that. So I see a mix. A lot of guys do say, oh, fine. This is how it is. I hear a lot, you know, oh, I feel like a woman now. (laughs) <laughs> sure, sure. I always have to reassure it happens to everyone. We all urinate. <laughs> exactly. Men and, yeah, women. and pelvic floor muscle issues don't care about uh, don't age or gender, anything. Yes, exactly. So it's not an embarrassing thing to have to worry about to come see you. That exactly. I want to make sure guys hear that. I'm, right. really, I'm, I'm harping on myself, <laughs> right. you know, because I, sometimes I'm, I'm that way. Oh, I don't need to go to the doctor. I'll tough it out and I'll be fine. Right. But it, the, if there's a, if, you know, especially if it begins to affect that quality of life, Absolutely. um, there's no reason not to come. Exactly. And you know, guys will say, cause I, I will ask about erectile dysfunction cause I've got to get the full picture of what's changed with the pelvic floor, what's improving, um, maybe what has improved with sur- since surgery. And uh, some guys will say, oh, I can't believe I'm having to talk to you about this. But then after a while, some of them just come in and fill me in more than I could have imagined initially. Sure. So I think over time, people feel more and more at ease, which always is my goal anyway. But you mentioned uh, Kegel exercises. Can you tell us what that is for the listeners that don't know? That, what that don't is? know, right? <laughs> that they're probably doing it in their car and don't even know. Exactly, it, right? <laughs> doing it every day and have no idea. So essentially, when we when we talk about Kegels, um, that is the contraction of the pelvic floor muscles. So when those muscles squeeze together and kind of migrate slightly upward, there's a little lift involved. Now, when someone does a Kegel properly, we shouldn't see the body move. So when I say lift, that lift is purely within the muscle. The body doesn't actually move or anything Uh. so if someone imagines trying to um, you know keep from urinating keep from passing gas those are the muscles that they engage to kind of squeeze and keep that from happening and um, over time people can lose that ability to properly contract all our muscles have two different types of contractions a shortening contraction which is what a kegel is and a lengthening contraction which is more like bearing down like Uh you know giving birth or straining to have a bowel movement in the case of the pelvic floor which unfortunately, you know, that lengthens the muscles, opens everything up more. So some people get mixed up on what to do and actually bear down instead of tuck up and in. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. So <laughs> kegels are not, I mean, there's something that can be done all the time while you're sitting at your chair. I mean, we, right. in front of the TV, sitting in the office chair. Right, right. And sometimes there is a progression involved in that because if someone comes in with a weak enough muscle, it may not have the ability or strength to repetitively contract against gravity. So sometimes when we do get into the strengthening phase of therapy, we actually have to start with doing kegels lying down just to get that muscle activation. But ultimately, the pelvic floor should contract while we're upright, essentially, whether we're seated, standing, walking, the pelvic floor muscles should contract and essentially do a kegel. So yeah. Wow. So what is um, pelvic physical therapy? 
<laughs> good question. Um, so a lot of people yeah. ask me that. Um, essentially, it is, of course, physical therapy with the emphasis on the health and function of the pelvic floor. Um, I joke and say, you know, it's I still treat feet. I still treat necks because once you help with certain more intimate details in, in someone's life, they want to rely on you for everything, understandably. <laughs> um, so it is a subspecialty of orthopedics. So in orthopedics, of course, we address any joint and body region. But for pelvic floor therapy, we have those orthopedic skills and just focus on the pelvic floor muscles. So when I screen someone initially for that initial appointment, I look at the function of the lower spine. So from the low back, essentially down to the upper thighs, I'm looking mm -hmm. at the position of the joints, movement patterns, because that can influence the pelvic floor and vice versa. The pelvic floor muscles can influence them. And then, of course, I screen the abdominal area because there is a lot of um, teamwork between the pelvic floor and abdominals that's necessary. And so I screen function for that. And then, of course, I screen the pelvic floor muscles themselves. Hey. You know, you're talking about you know, for physical therapy and um, this is such a different type of physical therapy, right? Right. right. Um, you know, I had my shoulder reconstructed or, you know, uh, the rotator cuff done. And of course it's painful physical therapy right. sometimes. Is this at all painful? So it kind of depends because one common change in the muscles um, for the pelvic floor is after any treatment or just certain events in life, they can actually, um, their tension can actually increase. So we can get spasms in those muscles just like we do anywhere else. So you think about people maybe working at the computer for a long time and they kind of rub the back sure, of their neck and their sure. shoulders as everything gets stiff and kind of tight. The pelvic floor muscles can do the same. And so for some people, those spasms are painful and those spasms sometimes are what is present if someone's having pain with um, urination bowel movements or or intimacy and so applying pressure to those tight muscles can be painful now I as well as my colleagues at optimal we're all very gentle even if we're checking the muscles and we feel some slight tension we're not just applying a tremendous amount of pressure like okay that's a little tender I feel tightness we move on and of course we have to release those spasms but that's still done within what a patient can tolerate so the right. goal is always to minimize or completely avoid pain this isn't a no pain no gain sort of aspect of physical you know, therapy I, I, I tried that I tried that when I had my shoulder and they're like we've got to stretch it it doesn't go any further than that. Get a move you don't want that frozen shoulder exactly <laughs> right oh, but thankfully that's, that's you know because I think people sometimes think physical therapy that's what it is yes yes oh. and I think that's it's a common misperception um along with you know exercise, exercise, exercise. Right. And so that's when I get the comment of, well, I've been doing the kegels and I've done this. And if the muscle's not functioning, we can't contract it properly or it doesn't rest properly, we have to restore that before any kegel or pelvic floor contraction or exercise can be effective. And so a lot of people are surprised when they come in and, um, you know, I'm not having them do a multitude of exercises. We're honing in on the particular change or changes involved and correcting that. And, you know, sometimes if they have an overactive muscle and we work on restoring that ability for the muscle to rest they say oh, i can't believe i'm coming to therapy to figure out how to rest yeah. <laughs> it's totally opposite of what they sure, expect sure so. well it's it's finding diagnosing and or finding the problem evaluating right. the problem right seeing what it is and then fixing it exactly getting to the root cause sure. exactly what is the average time of physical therapy for pelvic floor so that varies, of course, depending uh -huh. on what is going on or what all is going on, because uh -huh. some people do come in with almost every symptom in the book. Um, uh -huh. 
And everybody heals at different rates to even someone that hasn't survived cancer. You know, I could have 10 people in the room and all 10 will strengthen or heal at different rates. So visit wise, usually anywhere from like nine to 15 visits. Occasionally Mm -hmm. there are fewer involved and um, occasionally I've got a gentleman now I've I will probably see him for a total of 20 visits before we're done. Um, now, that is spread over a long period of time. This isn't sure. the sort of, you know, two to three times a week therapy. Right. This is a once a week to once every other week to sometimes once every four to six weeks therapy because it relies heavily on people doing their part, carrying on the instructions at home. It's not a quick fix. Not a quick fix at all. (laughs) And most of these changes were there prior to, you know, any cancer um, diagnosis or treatment or recovery. So we're usually correcting some longstanding changes that were just hidden or ignored or people were unaware of prior. You mentioned exercise. Is there any type of exercises like at home, like yoga or Tai Chi or Mm -hmm. Qigong that they can do to help strengthen their pelvic floor? Certainly, especially if the pelvic floor is functioning. Yoga Mm -hmm. is actually a great, um, it's a great method of providing and furthering that awareness of the muscles and furthering core strength. really any of those activities. Some people do go more into to yoga or Tai Chi. Some go more into Pilates. Um, any of those can help. The main thing is always ha- making sure and ensuring the muscles functioning prior. You know, here again, those are those things we do, right? We have, <laughs> do you know, classes. we had yoga. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So we, Fantastic. Uh, we, we offer yoga, we offer Tai Chi. We do those things. Right. Hey Ron, how much does it cost? Oh, it costs zero. It right. costs a little bit of time, mm-hmm. a little investment, you know, um, which is what you said too. There's a little homework involved. They're not just going right. to come and see you and, um, go home and it's fixed. Right. There's some homework. And so we'd like to challenge our folks with some homework and we'd like to say your homework is come to class, right? Come to class Absolutely. and try those exercises. That's important. right. That's right. And if they're also coming to PT with me they incorporate what I'm teaching them into it. So. It, it's very harmonious. <laughs> exactly. Very harmonious. Now, exactly. one of the things that um, our listeners may have heard of before involving some, some physical therapy and things is biofeedback. Yes. Um, can you share with us a little bit about biofeedback and how that works and right so biofeedback of course is a broad term and we have several different ways of accomplishing that in therapy so biofeedback of course is just having something you're able to observe that gives you kind of a window into something happening in your body so to speak so one form we commonly use is emg so a lot of people I've been in the hospital or had surgery or had things where they've been hooked up to an EKG, which of course looks at heart function and those patterns within the heart. An EMG or that form of biofeedback actually reads the activity of muscles. So if we've got a muscle that's not responding, maybe it doesn't contract well or it's staying contracted and doesn't ever rest, we can actually get a measurement of that. People see that on the screen and then through a kind of a strategy using that meter, we're able to correct that muscle function. There are also other great things. Once the muscle is functioning, even just for strengthening purposes, there are little devices that can allow people to visually see how well they're contracting and resting the muscles when they're when they're strengthening. So one is a little device that um, for women can be inserted vaginally and they see this little 
kind of stick coming up between the leg and they can see it move to know if they're properly contracting. And there are so many other devices out there. There's one um, called PeriFit that looks more like a Super Mario Brothers game. And it's inserted <laughs> vaginally and essentially you can track the pelvic floor to, you know, make a little bird fly or whatever. And, and you rest it to let him drop back down into the cloud. So wow. all of those things um, we do like to incorporate in therapy as appropriate and as we're able to provide that body awareness, essentially. Sure. I mean, you might think you're doing the right exactly. contraction. You might think you're ex- working yes. the right muscle and in theory and reality, you're not. Exactly. And that's something I see, you know, even aside from a muscle that's functioning or not functioning with the pelvic floor, sometimes I'll see people who come in and um, especially after prostate surgery, oh, I've been doing those kegels. And when I say, okay, well do one for me, their whole body moves. And at that point I'm checking the pelvic floor muscles <laughs> and I feel no change in the pelvic floor. So they're using everything, squeezing their buttocks, doing all sorts of things. And the pelvic floor is doing nothing for them. So so it helps to regain that awareness, know what those muscles are, how that contraction should feel, and what it should feel like to completely let go of that contraction. Wow. It's, that's a lot. It's a lot of information, it yes. Is. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's amazing what technology can do to help right. us, right? Yes, right. thankfully. An- another question maybe is, I know um, in, in a previous life, I was an uh, athletic trainer and, you know, <laughs> would do, would, I did, I've done, yeah, that, that's a whole other episode. Um, <laughs> And would would do you know physical therapy ish mm-hmm. you know the straight leg raises and the workout for right. the you know the torn ACLs or the knee injuries right. and, you know before they had surgery, is there ever a time to prehab you know when it Absolutely. comes to I know I'm going to be having my prostate removed or I know I'm going to be having this surgery, uh, what about prehab? That would be phenomenal to be honest. Now you know for. Gynecological cancers, um, any cancer in the pelvis, including the prostate, it would be ideal. That way we can ensure proper pelvic floor muscle health and function before treatment even starts, especially when we know that treatments can take a toll on the pelvic floor muscles. Um, that's something that I've you know talked to the local doctors about here, especially for prostate cancer diagnoses. Let me see them prior see if we can get better return earlier of bladder function and even of erectile function, essentially. Um, there are some guys that are on board and do want to go ahead and seek treatment. And some, I think, don't realize the benefit of it until they have a lot of incontinence. So I have a friend who has been recently diagnosed, and he'd actually talked to me when he was facing some of the initial tests to determine if that was, you know, if he did have prostate cancer. He reached out to me, and I said, okay, you know, this is what we need to do prior. You know, get let's, let's make sure the muscle's functioning. Let's do this and that. And so I've already started working with with him prior to he has even decided yet if he's doing radiation or surgery but we're making sure his muscles are functioning starting some strengthening make sure the muscles are healthy going into this to better his odds you mentioned about um the seed implants earlier yes. which of course if our listeners don't know is a type of radiation right. um uh, the seeds get implanted into the prostate uh and they release a, a, a timed amount of radiation but what about like your traditional external beam radiation are there still pelvic floor damage there can be because that does create tissue changes essentially radiation will take its toll um and sometimes we see more more the colorectal kind of things more fecal incontinence fecal urgency after that um i have seen a couple of gentlemen that suddenly developed essentially pelvic pain so kind of had some residual pain in that prostate area and for the longest time believed it was a prostate or you know result of the um treatment but it was actually pelvic floor muscles that were stuck in spasm so creating the symptoms 
So there's answers for your pain. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Always seek until you get an answer. Right. So when um, should a, a survivor um, talk to their doctors about coming to see you? So if they've had surgery, we always need to wait at least six to eight weeks after surgery because we need to allow for ample tissue healing time. Um, Beyond that, it kind of depends on, you know, how long, how far they are from any surgery, any treatment. Sometimes, depending on the treatments they're undergoing, we need to wait until that's complete or depending on the side effects they're experiencing. But I would say as soon as you notice a symptom let your doctor know because it may be something that they say well you know we can you know we can send you over to pelvic floor rehab for it but let's watch and wait let's see what happens when you're not doing the chemotherapy or let's let's give the radiation more time see if it clears up on its own because it could just be a temporary side effect but at least go ahead and get it on the radar that way if it sticks around then there's already documentation everybody's already aware and then when the time is right go ahead and you come see me essentially. You know, um, one of the things we've talked about too in, in episodes, uh, past is survivors are their best advocate. Yes, absolutely. And mm-hmm. when is the right, you know, that's a question we ask a lot of our guests who are yes. sharing, you know, their expertise is when is the right time to talk to your doctor? When is the right time to bring this up? And it seems overwhelmingly it's like at the first sign. Right. And I think survivors, um, again, are guilt, have that guilty feeling like I'm alive. Why should I complain? Right. Right. But enjoy mm-hmm. the life you're getting to, to continue living. Right. Yeah, <laughs> right. You know, think about you guys out there. Think about the, the thing you love to do the most. What is the one thing you love to do the most? Now, imagine you were not either able to do it at all or very limited. Right. You could only do a portion of that or you could mm-hmm. only sit for so long or you could only be a part of that for so long. I mean, that's the re- the reality of, of, right. of just suffering with this. And I may be preaching to the choir, and hopefully we're educating some folks about this. Right. Because that's mm-hmm. what's most important, the quality of life. You've gone through your treatment. Right. You know, you unfortunately, you were diagnosed, and you went through your treatment, and you're finished. Don't You don't have to suffer. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I, you know. Make the I, best of having survived all of that. That's too. right. That's right. <laughs> you know, one of the things, too, that maybe some of our listeners are wondering is insurance right does insurance cover for the most part and i know that may be a broad topic it's hard to say oh, it depends exactly. it's probably the right answer. well maybe depends is not the right word but it is, a, <laughs> it is sorry <laughs> you know it varies right however for, in, in the in experience i mean does do, do some do most most do i mean it still falls into the same physical therapy umbrella so usually if they have physical therapy coverage within their policy um it covers now one thing a lot of insurance companies look at is is their progress are we making changes and that's something that we document at every visit even sometimes there are changes that the patient hasn't experienced so symptoms haven't fully changed but physically we're seeing changes of things that we're needing to correct before it affects symptoms greatly and so most insurance companies do just look at that. I really don't ever have denials, actually. That's good. Um, I mean, not typically for this. You know, there's always the random denial, and, and we appeal. And but it's thankfully we're talking one or two a year, and I haven't had anyone 
receive a denial when they've been a cancer survivor. So, okay. Well, I just know that sometimes people are concerned about, you know, I'm sure my insurance doesn't cover that. And I don't know everyone has insurance. That's a whole nother topic for another day. Right. But you know, with insurance that it does cover that. Right. And you know, at at my office, my office staff is really good about verifying benefits prior. So we know before our patient even walks in the door, what it looks like. So we can alert people prior. So we always, and if that's something that, now I've talked to people who've reached out to me through email, you know, Hey, I, I've talked to my doctor. I'm going to see if maybe I can come see you, but I don't know about my insurance. And so even before they're my patient, I said, well, why don't, let me get you in touch with this person here in my mm-hmm. office and they can check on that for you and fill you in. So we're always more than happy, at least at my clinic, to check on that prior, just to offer more peace of mind and help in the decision-making process. I'm Absolutely. sure if our listeners have questions, they can ask you, Absolutely. you know, get some I answers love- before they... Um, start treatment so they don't have to have that extra burden of worrying about is it covered or not exactly absolutely i love questions and you know we're here to help people so (laughs) so what it's about you know the 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 beauty of what i'm hearing here is there's hope there's help um it may be uh, a process it's not a pill it's not quick it's not fast it's not one and done there's a little bit of work involved there's a bit of homework but there is help. Right. Exactly. And, and that's, uh, I think, a beacon of hope, especially for our survivors, you know, and, and, and lo- caregivers of survivors that know the survivor is, is struggling. Um, Absolutely. You know, it's, that's, all, that's what we're here for. We're here mm-hmm. to help and, and come along. Um, it, you know, we always say it's okay to not be okay. But we're going to try to help you be okay. Exactly. And so this is another example, Pam. That's right. We have resources out there that can help our survivors. Yeah. Lots of good information on today's podcast. Um, One of the things that we really like to do at the end of this podcast is um, talk about a Pete's Powerful Moment. We are sponsored by Pete's Car Smart Kia. And we want to know if you have one of those powerful moments um, that you can share with us. So I've, um, I'd have a hard time choosing just one really, but, um, there's one lady in particular and I'm getting a little teary, sorry, but, um, so she survived a gynecological cancer and she was someone who I knew prior to all that. And so I saw how energetic she was. Um, and in the, in the way I knew her, I saw her, you know, just her spirit essentially shined. And then after she survived everything, she had some residual hip pain, back pain. Um, she's young. She's in her 40s and still wanted to be intimate with her husband. Um, you know, was looking forward to hopefully being able to be active and involved in future grandchildren's lives. Sure. And to see kind of that just spirit decline in addition to knowing what she was dealing with. And so she pulled me aside one day, again, kind of people being hesitant to talk about things. And so I knew her for years and I'd kind of observed and suspected what was going on, but I didn't want to make her uncomfortable and approach her. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, she pulled me aside one day and said, you know, I, I want to know more about what you do, what you treat. Mm-hmm. And so we talked for a bit and she said, okay, I think I, I think I need to come see you. And she did get the referral from her oncologist at one of her follow-up visits. And I mean, she's now, nothing stops her. Again, she's in her forties or young, their, their kids are raised and well, she's in her late forties now. And, uh, you know, she and her husband travel, they enjoy, you know, closeness and intimacy on all levels now, both physical Mm -hmm. and just that ability to connect and travel. She couldn't tolerate sitting. She couldn't tolerate walking. Well, now they'll drive eight hours to go to a concert and have fun and walk around all these places. And she's, nothing stops her. And so for me, that's, that's a wonderful thing to see. And that's somebody that I knew prior 
and of course yeah. during and now after. So a lot of times, you know, I just get to see people after and mm-hmm. restore what I assume they used to be like. Right. And in her case, I got to see her back to oh. herself, the person I knew. So that's very touching. Um, you know, there is hope. There's hope for these patients out there. Um, they're not alone. They don't need to be right. silent. They need to talk to their doctors, and there is um, resources out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, Pam, the, the, the key thing here, too, is we can get you in touch with Alita. Absolutely. And so, you know, call us here at the Survivorship Center. Mm-hmm. Send us an email, uh, 331-2400, area code 806 you know, our email is info at the number two, four survivorship.org. Shoot us an email and say, I listened to your podcast. I need to speak to this person. I need to speak to Alita. I need to speak to, you know, one of our other experts that we have on. Um, that's our job. Our job mm-hmm. is to provide these resources and kind of be that go between and go, I didn't know that was available. And you know, you find out from it, from our podcast and we want to help you. Uh, we don't want, be a silent listener. I know that's right. In <laughs> or fact, silent sufferer. Well, that's right. Yes. Don't be a silent sufferer. Don't be a silent listener. If you have topics or you have, you know, you re- you guys really should talk to so and so, or you re- guys really should do a podcast on this. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we our commitment is we're going to try every way possible to find the right person or that person that you're suggesting if they're willing to do that. We we'd love to speak with them. So, you know, take, take advantage of these resources. It's great to have this here locally. Right. Did you know that we had it? I, I did not. (laughs) So now we know we can refer our friends and family and they don't have to be just cancer survivor because I know with age, um, Mm -hmm. the pelvic muscles kind of weaken. So I think anybody can benefit from it. I treat men, women, and children. So it really does not discriminate. <laughs> oh man, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for joining us this week. I hope that you learned something or uh, took pieces and parts of this to, to heart. Uh, again, um, we're here to help. And so our, our, the way you can help us is by sharing our podcast, passing it on. You know other cancer survivors, you have family members and so forth that may uh, suffer from this, um, from pelvic floor damage or incontinence. And those are those are really touchy subjects, but there is help and uh, there's great help here locally. And mm-hmm. so share our podcast, subscribe to our podcast, like our podcast and join us next week. I know we'll be back with a great guest. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Beyond the Ribbon. Make sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and follow us on social media for news and updates. If you'd like more information about the 24 Hours in the Canyon Cancer Survivorship Center, please visit our website, 24survivorship.org. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week.